goodness, we have been all through this month, been, just been reflecting on uh, that prophecy that was given so long ago, uh, saying that a virgin would give birth to a son who would be called Emmanuel. And we've been saying that when that, uh, that announcement is made by the angel, we are, are, are told that Emmanuel means God with us, and that tells us that it is the significance of the name, not just the name itself, that really matters. And so we have been looking at those passages uh, throughout the Old Testament that, that give us dimensions of what it means for God to be with us. What, does that, uh, what is that communicating? What was God trying to uh, tell us about Jesus and about his coming uh, that we should receive and believe and lay hold of. This morning's passage teaches that Emmanuel means God has moved in. And how we hear that promise and maybe even how you hear that this morning will probably depend on some of the circumstances in your life. What is happening in uh, your, your, your life this Christmas maybe? What has been happening over this past year? Uh, I'd like you to hear the promise, promise of Emmanuel uh, through the eyes of Paul Tripp's teenage son. Tripp had given permission to his teenage son to spend a weekend away at a friend's house. And he'd sent him off, somebody was having a great time, and so he was surprised partway through the weekend when he actually got a phone call from that friend's mother. Uh, the mother explained that her son had felt guilty, had felt bad as the weekend had gone on, and she had confessed to her that, she wasn't, that he was in fact covering for Paul Tripp's son. Uh, he learned that he had not actually gone to spend the weekend at this friend's house, but his friend was in fact covering up a lie for what he had actually wanted to do that weekend. So Paul, as a father, was processing all of this and having to deal with uh, what that might mean and what his son was actually up to and had to spend long hours preparing for his return, preparing for what he would say. What do, what do I do? What, what, what kind of conversation are we to have? His son came home at the end of the weekend and he, uh, Paul, Paul Tripp uh, waited uh, a couple of hours for him to get settled and said, can we have a bit of a talk? So they sat down together and he asked him a series of questions. He said, do you ever think about how much God loves you? And he said, yeah, sometimes. He said, do you ever think about how much grace God is, is, uh, is showing in your life, just on a, on a day-to-day basis. Ever, ever give thought to that? And at that point, he was, didn't have a response. He was silent. And he said, have you ever thought about how much grace was operating in your life even just this weekend? And at that point, he said, who told you? <laughs> and he continued and he said, you've lived your life in the light. You've made good choices. You've been an easy son to parent. But this weekend, you took a step toward the darkness. 
You can live in the darkness if you want. You can, you can learn to lie and deceive. You can use your friends as cover for you. You can step over God's boundaries. Or you can determine to live in God's light. I'm pleading with you. Don't live in the darkness. Live in the light. He turned at that point to walk away. And as he did, his uh, son cried out, Dad, don't go. And then with tears in his eyes, he said, I want to live in the light, Dad, but it's just so hard. Will you help me? You hear in that cry, I think, a feeling that probably many kids who grow up in church can relate to. That sense of wanting to live in the light, but feeling the pull of the darkness. And while that may be a regular tension for kids growing up in church, uh, the rest of us know that's not something that's reserved for, uh, for kids in church. It's something that adults deal with too that we feel those same tensions. And while Paul Tripp's son needed his father's help, I think we would all recognize that we need something more than that as well. And what I want to look with you this morning with is a passage from scripture that I believe is a part of God's answer to his son's cry for help. How Emmanuel meets this son in that, that struggle and that tension. And how Emmanuel meets all of us as we find ourselves often pulled and torn, weighed down at times by the darkness around us, seeking to live and to walk in the light. So if you would turn with me uh, to uh, Ezekiel 37, I'm going to start reading at verse 24. Maybe some of you are saying, Paul, I don't know much about, about theology, but I'm pretty sure that's not a classic Christmas passage. And you would be right in, in assuming that, but it is an important passage that teaches us about Emmanuel. Uh, you will hear uh, references to God being in their midst and God uh, speaking in, into uh, this promise of what will take place when the, the king comes, the this, this son uh, of David, the king like David, and he dwells in the midst of his people. And it, it gives us a critical piece of what it means for Jesus to be Emmanuel. In the Black Church Bibles, in the rack in the seat in front of you, it's page 679, uh, Ezekiel chapter 37. I'll begin reading at verse 24. My servant David shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd. They shall walk in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes. They shall dwell in the land that I gave to my servant Jacob, where your fathers lived. They and their children and their children's children shall dwell there forever. And David, my servant, shall be their prince forever. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will set them in their land and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. My dwelling place shall be with them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. This is the word of God. 
Uh, now, probably Ezekiel is not a book of the Bible that you frequently find yourselves turning to. Um, maybe many of you would say, Paul, I've actually never read it. I've never turned to it. Wasn't expecting to hear it today. Um, but let me give you a little bit of context. So the people that were addressed in the book of Ezekiel hadn't just taken a step into the darkness. They had taken one too many steps too far. They had gone one and again and again. In fact, generation after generation choosing the darkness. And they found themselves facing uh, the weight of that and the pain of that and the consequences of that. Their lives were broken by conflict, compromise, and the consequences of a lot of really bad decisions. In fact, uh, so bad that in the beginning of this chapter, if you know anything about Ezekiel, if you've heard anything about it, you'll probably have heard a passage about a valley of dry bones. That's right above this in the beginning of the chapter. And what he's describing is this, this great vision. It's, it's, he looks and he sees the valley and it's, it's scattered with, with bones, with skeletons. And that picture of, of dry bones lying strewn across uh, the valley was intended to communicate something. It, it, was, it was a picture that their lives, because of these series of steps into the darkness, their lives weren't just a little bit off course. They weren't just uh, somehow uh, they needed to be tweaked a little to be cleaned up. They were dead. They had destroyed their lives. They were a skeleton of what they were created to be. But into that message of total darkness and, and destruction, God breathes life into them. As these skeletons hear the word of the Lord, they are filled with his spirit and they come to life. And they experience the power of that new life. It's a message of incredible hope of what God will do uh, among those who respond to him. Uh, a message of what, it, what will come with the, uh, the, the renewal that comes with the Messiah. But then in, in this passage, we have this promise of Emmanuel, veiled in language of God setting his temple in their midst, God coming to dwell in their midst, uh, God welcoming them back to, to, into his presence. But it is the promise of Emmanuel, what God will do in his people among those who turn to him, make a covenant with him, what he will accomplish and what it means for God to be Emmanuel to us. And we get three little pieces of uh, that, that puzzle in today's passage. And I want to look with them together with you. And the first one is simply this. Emmanuel is the one you should follow. Here the message is you can't live in a world surrounded by darkness, hearing the voices of darkness without choosing among those who, who you will, will follow which voice you will elevate and lift up. Paul Tripp's son needed to be taught or, or, or come to recognize that in this life, even if you do want to walk in the light, you're going to hear a lot of voices of darkness. You're going to be bombarded with uh, opportunities and invitations to step away and to uh, look and walk in a different direction. But amidst all of those, 
there is a voice of God with you, speaking to you, calling to you, inviting you to follow, inviting you to glorify him and to, uh, to find hope in him. Emmanuel is the one you should follow. Now, one of the effects of the darkness that the people were feeling in particular as this message was being given was conflict, division. Uh, They were divided in in many ways. Uh, Pride and foolishness had divided the ten northern tribes from the two southern tribes. And at, at, at this point in history, they had been as divided for about as long as anyone could remember. Uh, they were uh, divided by, uh, by different political ad- agendas. They had different religious centers. Uh, they, they had uh, different uh, traditions that had grown up. And they failed to be able to cross those differences and deal with them. And so they were a divided people. Uh, to get past those def- differences, they were going to need some help. And verse 24 describes just that. It says, my servant David, again, pointing forward to the future, referring to this king that would come from the line of David, uh, my servant David shall be king over them, and they, will, they shall have one shepherd. Then verse 25 says, David, my servant, shall be their prince forever. This had not been the case. For hundreds of years by this point, the people had not had one ruler, they had not had one king, they had had two kings. They had been listening to different voices, and those voices had divided them and separated them. From now on, they would find their unity in one king. My servant David was shorthand for the Messiah. It was the Messiah that would come in the line of Judah. And the promise was, under his rule, God's people would be unified. The, the tensions that they hadn't been able to deal, to, to diffuse, the conflicts that they hadn't been able to deal with on their own, they would find resolved as they all individually, like instruments with a tuning fork, uh, aligned themselves under God's word, under uh, the voice of this new king, uh, the Messiah, Jesus. When Jesus' birth was announced by the angel Mary, uh, uh, by the angel Mary was told, the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. Jesus is the one whose voice we are called to listen to, uh, the voice, the word that we are called to elevate, and the message is he unites us. Uh, He brings people together that would ordinarily not be together. He's the shepherd who leads us in peace when the world is in division. And there are different ways that he does that. Uh, One of the ways that the Bible gives is just through his example. Uh, Philippians 2, 4 and 5 says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Here the message is that you can't devote yourself to Jesus without recognizing what he does in your life, what, what he has sacrificed for you, how selfless he is, how he is, the, is the, the king, the leader who lays down his life, who gives himself for others. The insults he bore, the sacrifices that he made, they define love for a follower of Jesus Christ. 
They define the, the, what it means to, to, to walk uh, in, a, in a life of love. His life shapes our values. He, he shapes how we relate to other people. And if, if you are looking at your relationships and thinking about uh, how there is still so much tension, so much division, you are examining your heart in comparison to Jesus and saying, are there things that I need to lay down? Is there pride that is getting in the way? Are there, are there things that are, are, are not Jesus-like about me and how I am relating to people that are that are adding to this tension. Uh, then in, uh, he also helps us to see the differences between us, how, how they're just not all that important anymore. At Galatians 3.28, it says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That was, that was being announced at a, at a time when... Uh, Culture, class, and gender created huge barriers between people. Uh, they, they, they created uh, tensions and conflict and, and divisions between people. And he's saying, in Christ Jesus, what we share is so much greater uh, than those things that would ordinarily, ordinarily divide us. And... Our culture today feels those same divisions. We, we are in a, in a world where, where people still feel tension, still feel conflict because of all of these same barriers. And yet the, the, the announcement, the promise is that in Christ, what we share goes far beyond any of those things and allows us to begin to see people with, with new eyes and with new hearts and with a new love and compassion. He unites us. But in order for that to take place, we need to do what Paul Tripp's son needs to do, what uh, the, the people hearing this prophecy needed to do. They need to lift up that voice of uh, this king named Jesus and treat him as king recognize that his voice needs to, to uh, take uh, preeminence in, in uh, over above all of the other voices, to listen to him, to reflect on him, and to give our attention to him. I think for most of us, we would say, I kind of like Christmas. There's a lot of things. The food is great. The presents are nice. The only thing that ruins it is the conflict inevitably in families there are, are tensions and there are difficulties in relating and, and we find ourselves in coming together, trying to make things work and yet as we do so we find the challenge of that. And we can't change other people. Uh, it, 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 it involves a, a dance between what we can do and what other people do but as we hear the promise of Emmanuel, we recognize there is one who is, a un is and can be a uniting force in our lives. That as we listen to him and elevate his voice, we can work on ourselves. And we can see, are, are there things in my life that are getting in the way? Am I the person raising up the obstacles or, or creating those tensions? Is, is it my 
pride that is that is getting in the way of this and if so i have i have one who helps to give me the power to break down those tensions and to build uh build those bonds of unity so jesus is god with us helping to do helping to do that he is that unifying strength and power in our lives so emmanuel is the one you should follow it's his voice that unites us. But the Israelites had another problem. They, they had gone so far that they had seen where things break down. They had seen the consequences of bad decisions. And they knew that they only had themselves to blame for the mess that they were in. And so while they heard these promises, it kind of some of them were feeling... We've, we've done this before. We've, we've kind of been around the block and I kind of know where this ends up. We, we always fail. And, and when we do things, just, it just feels like we, we, we're, we're no farther ahead. And that's what the next promise that God gave them deals with. The next promise is that Emmanuel is the strength to, turn, uh, to trump your weakness. God with us helps us to do things that we couldn't do alone. He gives us power where our weakness would otherwise make us uh, unable to go forward. Paul Tripp's son probably was looking at his own heart, his own track record and saying, I don't think I've got it. If there was something that, like if there was some package that you were supposed to, re, to, to receive for this to be easy, I, I just, I look at my personality, I look at, you know, my tendencies, and I don't think I can do it. Too hard. And the promise of Emmanuel is that there is a God who is at work in your life. It's no longer just you trying to fix you. It's no longer just you trying to work harder to get better, but there is a God at work in your life who is seeking to transform you. Emmanuel is the strength to trump your weakness. Now picture yourself as an Israelite in exile in Babylon hearing the, the great promise of verse 24. It says, They shall walk in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes. I'm just sure that someone in the crowd rolled their eyes at this prophecy, as wonderful as it may sound. Like, yeah, right. How on earth is that going to happen? Because they only had, they'd had this time in exile to, to reflect on their past. And they knew that this just isn't how things work. God had saved them by grace given them his commandments to lead them in a, 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 a life of blessing. But they had broken the commandments at every turn, one after another after another. Uh, for instance, we always look back to, to God's deliverance at Egypt. He had, he had brought them out of Egypt and it was this wonderful deliverance. But the entire generation died in the wilderness, right? They died through unbelief. They, they, they rejected God. They turned against his commandments. Even Moses, the great, the great Moses, he didn't get into the promised land because of his anger. 
Then you have Israel's first king. This will go well. And as we look, no, he, he found himself so far gone into the darkness that he had evil spirits tormenting him. Then we get the next king, and the next king's going to be great because he's a man after God's own heart. And he falls into adultery. And then if you read through the history of the kings, they, they don't get a lot better. In fact, they get a lot worse. The only standard is whether they were as good as David or not. And he was the adulterer. Like, you're, you're, you're looking, you're thinking, failure after failure after failure. After that had gone on for so long, the ten northern tribes were carried off into exile by the Assyrians. Gone. Banished. Sent from the land. But that was okay because the, the, Judah and, and Benjamin, surely they're going to hold the line. They're, they're the people that are descended from David. They're, these are the people that are, are following the true God. They're, they haven't compromised with their faith. Surely 586 comes along, 586 BC, and they are carried off by the Babylonians into exile. And this time, the people aren't just carried off into exile. God lets the temple itself be obliterated and destroyed. And it's his way of saying, I'm out of here. I'm gone. So the people hearing this promise in exile in Babylon are thinking, you're telling me there's going to be another king coming, and when he comes, people are going to walk in your rules and be careful to obey your statutes? I just don't, I don't think that's going to happen. That just doesn't feel realistic. And Christians who study the Bible and hear enough sermons to kind of be familiar with this, they respond in one of two ways. Some, some people respond and they say, yeah, but that's the Old Testament. With Jesus, he forgives us, so we don't have to obey anymore. But that's not quite right, is it? That, that kind of misses the mark. Because even Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So even with the forgiveness that Christ accomplished, it's not like obedience is off the agenda for God, right? But that doesn't mean we're on our own. And that's the second way that people kind of miss the mark. And, and I think that's what Paul Tripp's son was dealing with. And many kids growing up in the church feel, frankly. The message they, they feel is, yeah, I know that God wants me to walk in the light. So it's all up to me. I, I got to somehow figure this out by myself. Because if anyone fall, finds out that I'm not 100% walking in the light and I'm struggling with this, Boy, then, then I'm, I'm done for. Or, or, or I, I guess everyone around me, it just comes more easily. It, it just must be simple for other people because I just seem to struggle with this. And here is, is where you cross the line of God's will and decide walking in the light's just too difficult. I'd like to. I don't think I've got it. Here the hope expressed in verse 28. Again, pointing forward to the arrival of the Messiah, God's going to come. God's going to come in the person of Jesus. And when he does, it says, then the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel. 
when my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. Now, talking of God's sanctuary in their midst forevermore is God's way of saying, I am going to come and dwell in the midst of my people. I'm going to come with all of my holiness and all of who I am into the midst of my people, and I'll do it forever. And he's saying, when that happens, the world will see that he sanctifies his people. Sanctify is a, just a big word for make holy. The world is going to see, I make my people holy. I do it. I'm at work in this. I'm taking on the task. I am joining in the work. That doesn't mean that we're off the hook, but it means that we have hope. It means that we're not alone. In the Old Covenant, God gave them great laws to show the world how great he was. In the New Covenant, God takes, uh, uh, takes those laws and he helps people keep those laws to show how great he is. He takes on the task of sanctification. He, he takes responsibility to, uh, to, to purify his people and to make them holy. That's the promise of Emmanuel, God with us. We have power now to walk in the light. Again, doesn't mean that we're off the hook. It means that we have help from God in this task, that on our own, we would throw up our hands and say, I think it's a lost cause. That's what Paul's describing in Ephesians 5.25 when he says, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her. That's what's behind the, the prayer in 1 Thessalonians 5 when he says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of Lord, Je- Lord Jesus Christ. I love this ending. He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. Don't you love that? God has joined in the task. God has committed himself to your holiness. God is at work in your life. That is the promise of Emmanuel. To all who enter into this covenant with this king, he promises to come into our midst, to come into our lives, and to begin to change us, to shape us, and to make us more like himself. And that's one of the things we celebrate at Christmas. Not just that he came to save us from our sins. Not just that he came to forgive us, but that he came to sanctify us. He came to make sinners holy. To begin to shape them. But it means that we, we partner with him. It means that we continue to, to give ourselves to him. People miss that. Some people miss that on the front end of, of, of this whole Christian faith, and they assume, I, 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 maybe I'll trust in Jesus after I get my life cleaned up because I'm not good enough yet. And they don't realize, no, he's not only the God who forgives us, he's the God who changes us. And so some people hold back from taking that step of faith because they think there's something they need to do first. 
Other people, though, get it, miss it on the, on, the, on the back end after they trust in Jesus. Because there they think, if, if you know that Jesus worked to make you holy, you should turn to him for strength. You should look to him for the help that he gives. You should anticipate that he's using your circumstances to help you grow. It's not you against God. It's you with God with us. God working from within you to change you, to help you, to grow you. And so if you're approaching Christmas this year, frankly, a little discouraged at your failures. Frankly thinking, I, I just, I, I wish I had some help in this. I wish I was farther along. Celebrate that every time we say Emmanuel, we are recognizing that through faith in this king, I, I receive the, the presence of God within me, the presence of God to change me, the presence of, of God to help me to grow. And so there's hope. There, there, there's strength in him. You're not alone in this. God is at work to make you holy and he's faithful. Your job is to cooperate with him, but it's not all on your shoulders. He's taken on the task. He has come into our lives to work. And if you're a young person who's grown up in the church and you think, I don't think I have what it takes. It just, I think it's just too hard for me. Look to Emmanuel. As you spend time with God, he is the power to change you. And that doesn't mean that you don't still feel the darkness. It doesn't mean that it happens over the, overnight. But as you continue to lay hold of him, continue to lean into him, continue to draw near, to spend time, to hope, to trust, and to give yourself to him, he is the one to change you. He's the power of God. That's the promise of Emmanuel. So we said that Emmanuel is the one you should follow. He's a strength to trump your weakness. The final aspect of the promise is that Emmanuel is God with you forever. That God no longer ever walks out or gives up on someone. He, he doesn't banish them or exile them anymore. That when someone enters into this this covenant of peace that's described here, this eternal covenant that's, that's described here, they can know God's presence in their life and to know it for all eternity. Emmanuel is God with you forever. Now, do you remember what happened to Adam and Eve when they sinned? They reach out for the forbidden fruit and they are what? Sent out of the garden, right? Right? We said already that with the 10 tribes, God gave them chance after chance after chance after chance. And then finally, 722 BC, Assyria comes, carries them into exile, and they're banished out of God's presence. Then we've already said the, the two southern tribes, 586 BC comes along. They've been given chance after chance after chance after chance. And then God says, that's it. You're carried off. And I'm turning the lights out in this thing called the temple. I'm gone. They had experienced that. That was God's way of picturing the fact that sin separates us from God. 
But having experienced the pain of that, the people who received this vision from, from Ezekiel here in Babylon thinking, well, maybe this, maybe we just give up then. Maybe there's no hope. And he gave them the message of Emmanuel. He gave them the promise of Emmanuel. And, and that promise was that there was coming a new covenant, a new relationship, a, a, a new way of relating and in this new way of relating, there would, there would be his, uh, his reassuring presence forever. Hear the promise that he makes to them in verse 25. They shall dwell in the land that I gave to my servant Jacob, where your fathers lived. They and their children and their children's children shall dwell there forever. It's a promise that God is bringing back his people to the place of blessing, and this time it's forever. And God's promising to move back in too. That's the point he's making in the end of verse 26 when he says, I will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. And then again in verse 27, my dwelling place shall be with them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And we've been re- as we've been reading this morning, has anybody kept track of the forevers? There's like a lot of them, right? Um, in, in verse 25, they shall dwell there forever. David will be their prince forever. In verse 26, he makes an everlasting covenant and then promises to set his sanctuary in their midst forevermore. Then in verse 28, he says, my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. Each time, same Hebrew word, forever, 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 forever. We don't know a lot of forever in our world today. Uh, any of you have a friend? You maybe shared some really special times together. You were close. Things were going well. And maybe there was just something little that came between you. And you just, it's just not that anymore. You kind of drifted apart. Or, 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 or maybe it's someone else. Someone that you really relied on. Someone that you looked to and you were close with. And... Things came up. Things changed. Now you'd say, well, we're, we're at least still connected on Facebook. We kind of follow each other on social media. But it's not there anymore. We don't know very much about forever. People move. People die. People change. Emmanuel is God with us forever. He's not going anywhere. He's not sending us away. He, he promises when we enter into this covenant with him, he enters into our, into our lives and he never leaves us, never forsakes, never forsakes us. And that's what I'd want Paul Tripp's son to know. You can turn your back on God. You can hide your sin. You can... Try to lie and, and cover it up so that people don't see. If you walk away and decide that walking in the light is just too hard, you'll see, as people have seen for hundreds of years, sin really does destroy people. Like that valley of dry bones, it destroys the very heart of who we are. Make skeletons of us. You can do that. 
But if you look to Emmanuel, if you make Jesus your king, his word becomes your guide. His example becomes your motivation. His sacrifice becomes your hope. Yes, walking in the light is still hard. Yes, you still feel the, the, the pull and invitation of the darkness. But Emmanuel is working and he's working inside you. He is God's power within you. And he has committed himself to making you and me holy. Committed himself to changing us. Committed himself to maturing us. And he promises to finish what he starts. When you choose the darkness, you're on your own. You, you, you take this thing on for yourself and you, you will find at times people around you who are comfort and support. And that feels good for a time. But then you also feel the other side of that when you realize, oh, it's not forever. They weren't there when I needed them. In fact, maybe they're not there at all. With Jesus, you put your trust in the one called Emmanuel and he promises that you will never be alone. You will, you will never find yourself separated from him again. And so whatever you face, you'll face it together with him. That's the promise of Emmanuel. It's the promise of Christmas. Find your hope in it. Turn and, and receive all that he wants to do in and through you. Let's look to him now in prayer. Oh, Father in heaven, thank you for the promise of Emmanuel. I pray for everyone here this, me this morning feeling the power of the darkness. Pray for people who just feel it's too hard to walk in the light. Pray for others who are so far into the darkness it's hard to even see the light. Would you minister the hope of Emmanuel? Help them to turn to the God who is with us. Give each of us the courage to lay hold of you for help. And give, give each of us the assurance that you'll never leave us nor forsake us. You're the God who is with us forever. We praise your holy name. In Jesus' name, amen.